the challenges of, of living in a really connected world like the one that we're in is you and I, we have the burden of wrestling with what we do with all of the information that comes at us. Sometimes it's information that we're looking for. Sometimes it's information that just finds us. And it's, it's a remarkable and really challenging moment in human history that we're living in because whether you want this to be true or not, every single day you and I are being made aware of things in real time that generations before us would have taken weeks or months, sometimes even years to make sense of. And it's just coming at you, just, just rapid fire. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but one, one of the challenging realities of, of living in this like hyper-connected world is information comes at us very quickly, and a lot of times it comes at us in really shallow, quick, inconvenient manners. And so you're sitting there, and you're, you're just kind of scrolling through your Twitter feed, and, and you catch a, a picture of something that's happening in Afghanistan this week, and you see the horror or the chaos, or you catch a, a story about what's happening in Haiti and you're reading that as you're sitting at a cafe drinking a $7 cup of coffee. And unless we just acknowledge just the tension of that, we'll miss what it does to our souls. We'll miss what happens to us as we receive these really challenging bits of truth and then right under it in our same Twitter feed, there is a funny meme from a friend. There is a joke from a, uh, a coworker. There is, there's something that just comes and our hearts don't know what to do with it. And so sometimes in these moments of growing awareness, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but in these moments of growing awareness, we can be easily pushed in one of two directions that aren't helpful for us or the people that God's called us to serve. And so one of those directions is that we get pushed into these places of apathy where we become suddenly aware of so much pain, heartache, suffering in the world, and we don't know what to do with it, and so we just try to get beyond it. So the other night, our family was sitting around the dinner table, and we were talking about the chaos that's unfolding in Haiti and in Afghanistan. We were talking about the persecuted church. We were talking about the way the Taliban was surrounding houses of believers, and we're talking about it with our boys, and we're praying, and one of our sons, he said something, this is not judgmental, I'm not being hard on him, um, but I resonated with what was going on in his heart. He said, Dad, could we wait until after dinner to talk about these things? Because it's hard to talk about these hard things as we're trying to eat. And I went, man, isn't that the tension? And if we're not careful, this stuff comes at us and we just kind of want to push it away and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to place it. And so over time, we can become apathetic. Oh, another crisis, another heartache, another war, another big challenge. And so we can become apathetic or we can get pushed to the other side, which is just as dangerous where we see these things and we don't know what to do about it. And so we get angry and we get cynical and, and we know something needs to be done and we don't know what needs to be done. And so we just, we get online and we become digital warriors, you know, and, and, and we are, we're trying to use our voice, but we don't know how to use our voice. And the question that I've been wrestling with all week is what does it look like to be followers of Jesus that are faithful to Jesus that are faithful to what's happening in the global church in ways that make sense for the moment that we're in right here and now. And I just keep reflecting back on the words out of Psalm 11 where the psalmist says, when the foundations of the earth are being shaken, what are the righteous to do? Like, what's our response? And so this morning, we're just gonna take a few minutes. We're supposed to be talking about the way the Spirit of God inhabits the local church. We'll do that next week. But I didn't want us to just scroll past this moment. And I want us to wrestle with the thing that God has called us to do. And so I'm, I'm really excited. One of my dear friends and brothers here in the city, he and his wife 
are here. His name is Pastor Fadi Al-Hagal, his wife Lindy. They're here. Uh, Fadi has the joy and the honor of leading the International Leadership Coalition here in the city of Nashville. He works with uh, leaders, with refugees, with pastors, with international pastors all across the city. Uh, he is uh, arguably the most connected international leader here in the city that I know, and just an amazing man of God. He is a treasure to the church. And so uh, on Sunday night when I got home from our prayer gathering and I saw all that was unfolding in Afghanistan, I thought, man, who could we invite to come help us as a young urban church in the city to help us know how to navigate a moment like this. And I thought, man, I don't even need to call Fadi. He'll be busy, there's no way he can come. But I called him and he said, I would love to be there with you. And so I wanna encourage you, get out something to take notes with this morning, your phones, your, uh, your journals, whatever it is. I wanna encourage you to be an, an attentive listener. I wish we had the ability to have three hours with him and to just pick his brain and to hear stories. But we're gonna try to do in 20 or 25 minutes what we should take uh, days to do. And I just wanna encourage you to be actively listening to whatever it is the Holy Spirit's gonna say to you through Pastor Fadi. And then we're gonna spend time in communal prayer, receiving communion, and worshiping together. Does that make sense? That's where we're gonna go this morning. Could you please help me give a huge warm ethos welcome to Pastor Fadi Ahogal. Fadi, we're so honored uh, to have you here, bro. There's, there's so much that I would love to talk about. I got done, we got done with the nine o'clock worship gathering right before you all were here. And I just had people streaming up to me saying, hey, can you come back next week? And the next week, like there was just a, there was a hunger that God was, was stirring um, in our church as you spoke. And so we're so honored that you're here. And I, I really wish we could talk through a whole lot of things. Uh, but before we get to the conversation about what's happening on the global scale. I would love for you to give us just a little bit of context about your story of faith, how you came to Jesus, how you ended up in Nashville, because I believe your story will give some context because uh, I think you have some wisdom about how we can serve. And so just give us an insight uh, into who you are and what God's been doing. Yeah, Dave, thank you for having me. And I'm grateful to be with you and, and with, your, uh, with your congregation. I was born and raised in Damascus, Syria, in the Middle East. I've never spoken English. I knew how to say four words in English, hi, goodbye, yes and no. So in 1984, if you came to me and you said, uh, what's your name? I would have said, hi. If you said, hey, where are you from? I would have said, goodbye. So, <laughs> so um, but that's, that's the only English. And I grew, up in a, I grew up in Syria. Syria is predominantly a Muslim nation. You're watching what's happening in Afghanistan right now. When you live in one of those nations where Christianity is rejected by large, where Christianity struggles to survive or Christians struggles to find their identity, you, you feel the collide of the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Now, I was not a Christian as I was growing up in Damascus, Syria. Matter of fact, our house was about a mile and a half away from the house of Judas, the Apostle Paul met Ananias and the Holy Spirit of God fell on his eyes and the scales fell. And God said, Paul, you are mine. 
I've chosen you to suffer for me. Now pay attention to that. I've chosen you. Through suffering, I'm going to bring breakthroughs in many nations and in many continents. And so what we're sensing today that even though it feels like a suffering moment, it's a Mordecai moment. It's an Esther moment. Kind of the global church is born for such a time as this where we run to strengthen the, the global church and we need to locally and internationally. And then the church comes back and says, we want to strengthen you so you can walk that journey with us again. And I would really walk by the house of Judas. And I knew there's history here, but it never was my history. But my spirit would be yearning for God as I would walk the streets of Damascus where the apostolic anointing just kind of took off and went all the way to Antioch and Ephesus and all these places. And every time my spirit yearned for God, God will say, you're mine, you're mine. And I had no idea how and what that literally means. Well, I came to the United States via breakthrough to really get a visa as a student to come to the United States. And God took me out of Damascus, a city of five million, and brought me to Martin, Tennessee. <laughs> Anybody knows where Martin, Tennessee is? You know, yeah, Janet knows where Martin, Tennessee is. Uh, you know, uh, Damascus, five million, Martin, five people. And so you're just kind of... <laughs> You just kind of got to know, oh, what am I doing here? But it's through the appointed connection of the Holy Spirit. A gentleman from Hickman, Kentucky. Never been to Damascus. I've never been to Hickman. And God has signed Pastor Lynn Walker to minister to me. Him and I walk a journey in the gospel. And through the revealing and the revelations of God's word, I've come to know Christ as my Lord. Now, I became a child of God. There in Martin, I met my precious bride, Lindy. We both were going to college there, graduated from there, went to work in hotel business, left that to go to ministry because that's where my heart is. Through that, Lindy and I pastored for 22 years, and then God transitioned us to Nashville to work with nonprofits and the international leaders that are here in the city. And here we are, honored to be serving the Lord in that capacity. Yeah, you know, you know it's so amazing to me when I listen to, if you listen to Fadi's just story of faith, you know, just all of these unexpected moments where, where God would move you here and he would use people in your life. And what's been so beautiful to watch the way that you've used your story and you've turned around and used that in the life of all of these international men and women that are coming into the city. You know, you may or may not know this, uh, whether you've been in Nashville for a long time or maybe you're new to the city of Nashville, but there's more than 300,000 yeah. uh, international people here in the city and in Middle Tennessee area. And I would love for you to just talk about what you've seen happening here in the Middle Tennessee area and the way that God is using even parts of your story and what's yeah. happening to open up uh, the gospel yeah. in their lives. Yeah, and I, I thank you. I, I remember when Lindy and I lived in Nashville. Lindy is from Nashville. She was born and raised here in Donaldson. Early 90s, we were living here, and uh, we were serving the Kurdish community. Would, the Kurdish community would settle in here, and Lindy and I, especially Lindy and a team from the church we were members of, would go out to the airport, get them, or to their houses and help them settle. And little did I know that God would bring me back to this area. About 25 years later, when we came back to Nashville, I found out that, uh, that the International Bride is present 
but the, but the local bride is not aware of the presence of the international community. When I was working at World Relief, God will help me just introduce to me great international leaders. So we created the International Leadership Coalition for three specific purposes. Number one is to bring an awakening to the local community and the local church that the international bride exists in here. And together, we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on mission locally and globally. So to bring an awareness to the local body that the international community exists. The second reason the ILC exists is because we wanted to honor the ministers that had been pushed out of their nations as refugees or people who have suffered the loss of loved ones, found themselves in our global city, like many other global cities in the United States, Houston, Atlanta, found themselves in here. Once they used to have a ministry of five, six, seven churches, thousands of people, now they're here trying to survive. And I felt in my spirit that, God, you're sending a force, a warrior force to our city, to awaken our city. So I wanted to create a, a ministry that honors them and resource them and walk alongside of them and say, we believe you're here positioned, appointed, and set apart for God with the local community. And the third reason, so not only awaken the bride to the international community, honor the ministers, but thirdly is to be a bridge between the local church and the international world, which here has about 91 people groups, over 50 to 52 different nations. 31 of these people groups are considered unreached, less than 2% declare Christ as Lord. Our mission is awesome. Don't forget that 300,000 here has relatives all over the United States and more importantly, all over the world. So what we do here really has this triple effect, this, this, this effect that goes all over the world. One of our ministers is serving right now in Pakistan to the Peshawar people of Afghanistan. And she and her team are trying to translate the Bible, uh, the New Testament, into the language there so we can put it back into the hands of Afghani people that are questioning right now, where is God? And the answer is there, nearby. And we can take part in encouraging that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's so amazing is you just think about the moment we have uh, to live in a global city like this is you could be a global missionary and never travel far further than your zip code you're already in. That there are men, women, and children all around that, that God would want to use you to, to have a significant impact in their life. And, you know, as I began to get to know you, Fadi, and so many of the leaders that you run with and people that you serve, it's just amazing what, what God is doing in, in this moment in time. And, you know, it kind of brings my attention to what's happening in Afghanistan right now. And I don't know how much uh, you all have kept up with what's gone on this week, but uh, just kind of a few quick things to maybe frame it up for us. You know, the church in Afghanistan over the last several years has been the second fastest growing church in the world. So only behind the church in Iran. So in the midst of this persecution and hardship and suffering, more Muslims have come to Jesus in the last decade than in the last several hundred years. I mean, God has been doing something significant by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself in the midst of all of this suffering, in the midst of all of this hardship. And so what we've seen kind of unfolding, you know, on the last six or seven days, unbelievable moment of hardship, pain, suffering, and yet God is using it. Uh, Jesus is showing up to the underground church in Afghanistan 
He's coming to people in dreams and visions. Uh, he is uh, really doing a significant work. In fact, during the nine o'clock this morning, um, one of our dear brothers who works with the Afghani church, he was texting me updates from uh, groups of these underground churches in Afghanistan that are fleeing from the Taliban uh, throughout the night, throughout the day, trying to take care of one another, and yet they're praising God in the midst of it. And so it's just been a really sobering moment. I would love if you could give us just your perspective on what's happening kind of in the Muslim world in the Middle East, what's happening in, in Afghanistan right now amongst the church. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think when, when my spirit tries to connect with what's going on, I recall I just came back from Athens and, and uh, I went out to the streets after our leadership conference and started talking to people that are shop owners. 90% of the people I've talked to were from Afghanistan. And when I said, we have a ministry center in here, would love to invite you there. And they'd say, oh, that ministry center on the third floor? I'd say, yes. They said, we would love to go there. There is a hunger right now. And here's what I think is, in my spirit, there's a colliding again. Uh, first of all, there's the collapse of the kingdom of darkness right now. Even though it looks like there are um, political movements that are out to kill, destroy, and separate, but the church is always strong. It's an Acts 12 moment. It's an Acts 2 moment when the church rises in a moment like these. And, and so I think you're seeing Psalm chapter 2 come to pass. Why do the nations rage? Why do the kings plot against God and His anointed? And then you hear that chapters say to you, yes, but God is talking to his son. He said, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. As if God is saying, no matter where it goes and how it goes, the nation of Afghanistan belong to my son. And so I think what's happening right now is that collide. The enemy is arising, the Isaiah 14 moment where he wants to say, I will do this and I will do that. And the son of dawn is trying to make havoc out of the nations. However, I honestly believe it's a Mordecai moment. God is raising up Mordecais inside of Afghanistan, outside of Afghanistan, that are saying to the Esthers of the moment, which is the local bride in America and all around the world, you were born for such a time as this. If you don't take your place, I will raise another Esther from somewhere else to do what we're doing. So we're watching a Mordecai Esther moment rising to save a nation and the history of a nation. Afghanistan, you're right, Pastor, used to have about 17 believers, 19 and 79. Right now, there are thousands of believers in home churches hungering for God, running like they did in those early centuries, but yet for their lives, but yet at the same time, whatever they go, the shift of the Holy Spirit of God goes, and the presence of God and the promise of His Word for that nation goes. Now, take that and multiply it many a times to other nations, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, China, and all nations that are saying, where is God? We know that God reveals himself. He doesn't tell us what to do, but when he reveals himself, he shows us who he is. Based on who he is, we'll learn of what to do because he's true to his church anywhere it exists. You know, when you and I were talking earlier this week, I think it's Monday or Tuesday, and I was, I was personally just challenged. I was going, man, God, what do we do in a moment like this? And you made a statement to me that really resonated all week. You said, whether you live here in Nashville or you live somewhere across the world, for every follower of Jesus, we have to embrace the missionary spirit. And you talked about the way that you were beginning to reorder your calendar this week, the way that you're trying to get into the presence of God to live with that missionary spirit. I would love for you to just kind of unpack that for us. What does that mean? What does it look like for 
an American Christian in Nashville in light of all that we're reading and seeing this week to partner with the global church with that missionary spirit? Yeah, and uh, and Acts one six through eight, God defined the missionary spirit. It's one that exists here and now, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And that's really the the great commission of the early church. You know, we we think a missionary is one who has a geographical assignment, and that's true. And God may call you; He may call you somewhere in Tennessee, somewhere across the world. And however. All of us as the body of Christ are called with a missionary spirit. We are missionaries with the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's why we have the missionary spirit that lives inside of us. And a missionary spirit is connected to what God is doing. It's also aware of what Satan is doing. When darkness creeps in, the missionary spirit says, you stand right here. God is a wall of fire and he'll keep you away. Now, here's how a missionary spirit functions. You, wherever you live, Number one, you're aware of what God is doing. So here in Nashville, among the nations, there's an awareness in my spirit. The nations are hurting. Somebody's family is being touched. I am aware, God, what is it that you want me to see right here? So if you know someone who is an international or somebody that, that is a part of an international family, as a missionary spirit, it comes alive in you. You're aware and awakened to the fact that God is stirring up inside of you something there. The second thing a missionary spirit uh, uh, kind of exemplifies itself and kind of embodies itself. You not only are aware, there's this constant communion that you're an investor in God's kingdom. A missionary spirit doesn't wait to go somewhere. The missionary spirit is going somewhere with God right here. So you're investing. So when you are aware of somebody from any community, even the refugees that are coming from California to, I'm just kidding, I'm just, but, uh, you know, we are aware of their needs. Your missionary spirit said there's a neighbor I need to hear their story. Somebody needs the gospel witness that is in me. So a missionary spirit not only is aware of what the spirit is doing, is also investing you're a groundbreaker. You're a breakthrough agent. You're a John the Baptist. You're, a, you're an Elijah. There's something in you that says, I've got to open territory for the kingdom to invade. And thirdly, the missionary spirit is a connecting spirit. Now that I'm aware of what God is doing in Nashville, the nations are here. Other people are here. Now that I know I have an assignment in Nashville, I'm a connecting uh, with, with, between the kingdom of God and what's happening in the earth. So the missionary spirit brings down the Holy Spirit to work among the people, whether it be at work, at schools, and everywhere. So what I encourage you to do is in your prayer time, say, God, give me this Spirit. Awaken within me what your Spirit is doing so I could be on mission with your Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, I loved the way that uh, you and your family this week, you know, when all of these things were unfolding in Afghanistan, you, you said, okay, we're not just going to go about business as usual. And you began to kind of rearrange your schedule and to make space to, to get in that secret place with God. Hey, God, would you stir up that missionary spirit? But one of the words that you shared with me, you said there is this season of preparedness that God's calling us into. And, you know, something happens in that place with God, that secret place, whether you're in a dorm room or an apartment complex or uh, in your living room before your kids wake up, like you get in that secret place with God and God begins to stir your heart for what burdens his heart. And I love the connection that you talked about, you know, you see the burden, you see the suffering of the world and how God will so often use that as an invitation into more, how 
those two things are not working against each other, but in the hands of God, God uses it to advance his kingdom. So I'd love for you to just talk about how do you prepare? How do you prepare your spirit to, to say yes to whatever God is doing? And how does God use things like suffering and heartache and burden to bring us into the more that he has? Yeah, and, and so I just, again, I just came back from overseas, and of course, a million emails and a lot of things to do. Then the thing started in Afghanistan, it suddenly started. And sometimes in a suddenly moment, like you said, Dave, we, we either kind of set it aside or we dive right into it. We don't know what to do. So there has to be a preparation. A missionary spirit gets you prepared for all of that. But here's what I had to do. I would go to the office in the mornings, and I thought, I, I just can't. I can't just involve myself in the business element or the ministry business element of this. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I felt like the Lord is saying, I want you to shut your schedule down. And I understand not everybody can do that. But I did that intentionally. And every day by noon, one o'clock, I was at home, literally in the presence of the Father, just saying, God, there's several things I need to do to prepare. Number one, you know that scripture that says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you? Well, there's a meaning to that. So the first thing I did, I secluded myself to draw near to God through his word and his presence. When you draw near to God and sit with the word of God, the word of God is the breath of God, comes alive to you, and you begin to hear him speak. Revelations will hit your spirit, your mind. You begin to see what the El Roe singing and you begin to feel what he's feeling. The stories are not just news stories. They're now stories that really becomes a foundation for what God is calling you to do. And so you hear him. So the first thing is find time, however small of a portion of time. At night, during the day, even if you're just walking, just find time to say, God, this portion of my day belongs to you because I want to prepare. The second thing is learn to be, and that's a practice through faith for maturity. Learn to be informed before you become instructed. See, when you are not prepared, when you're not really making time for God to speak to you, you'll take the easy route. Lord, just have the leaders tell me what to do. And that's one it shows trust and confidence in our leaders. And so what happens is learn to be informed. And informed literally means I make my personal effort to figure out, God, what are you doing there in Afghanistan right now? I want to read about it. I want to learn about it. What are you doing in this nation and that nation? So when my pastor gets up and said, I feel led to go there, there is an intimate connection immediately and an agreement that says, I'm with you, Pastor Dave. I will do this. Why? Because I'm informed before I got instructed. So preparation, time. Preparation, be informed. And then preparation. Learn to say, God, here are my resources and I'm ready to invest my calling and my gifting, my spiritual giftings in other people's lives. So you move, you move into that and you, begin, you become really ready. So your preparation gets you informed and gets you to readiness. And readiness means God may shift your call, but that's okay. Because this is an Esther eternal moment, a Mordecai moment, when God said, this is where I'm going to seal your call. And this is where I'm going to seal your work for the next season of your life. So, yes, that's what preparation means. It involves separation. It involves information. It involves readiness. Yeah. You know, one of the things over the next several weeks and months and hopefully years, we're going to have the opportunity as tens of thousands of men, women, and children will come to Middle Tennessee 
We'll have the opportunity to befriend international families. We'll have the opportunity to help welcome and settle um, refugees. We'll have the opportunity to come alongside the international church here in the city. And, and uh, we're, we're just praying that God will open lots of those opportunities uh, for you to befriend families, for you to walk with men, women, and children that have literally just had their worlds turned upside down and uh, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in those moments. And, and hopefully we'll be able to convince Pastor Fadi to come back and help us take some of those steps and walk through some of those things together. So much more that I'd love to ask you, but um, one more question, just real briefly. As you are praying for the people of Afghanistan right now, as you're praying for the persecuted church, what are just a couple of things that you were talking with God about right now on their behalf? Uh, specifically, I was talking about, Lord, surface up to us here in Middle Tennessee, the Afghan families. Now, we know very few believers that are here, but let us connect with the families right now and hear their stories. You know, here in, uh, in, our, in our Western world, we, we worship time. Time is, is valuable to us. To them, a relationship and a time spent to hear them and hear their pain and their, their burden is a big deal. That may be the gateway that brings them to the Lord. So first of all, not just Afghanistanis, but all nations that surround them, Pakistanis and other nations that are right now sensitive to what God is doing in their surroundings. And so first of all, let us connect with these nations. Number two, let us be ready right now. Get our spirit ready, Lord, to really kind of receive these refugees that are coming in and, and learn how to take them in and do what the Father said the true religion is. And that is ministering to the widows, to the orphans. There'll be some orphans coming in. So we can do God in word and in deed. And as we are allowed to step in and share a cup of tea or something with them, we're able to hear their story and become God's story in their lives. And so it's coming. It's coming. By the end of this year, we're going to see an influx of folks. Beginning of next year, we did not know when, when, when the refugee numbers will increase next year that we will receive some Afghanistanis. That was not in the count, but now it is. And that's a beautiful thing because really it kind of prepares our spirit for the rest of the other nations. So here's my recommendation, one simple recommendation. Lord, how do I become an Abraham to a refugee family or to a family that needs a refuge? And Abraham means, how can I be a friend of God to that family? So God is calling us to be friends right now. And that's much more than just a cup of coffee. It involves a lot of involvement. I pray for their families, for their faith to come to the Lord, or if they're Christians, to be strengthened. And then I pray for that fear to go away as they find a place of rest and liberty here in America. So awesome. Can you guys help me show some love and appreciation? We're so grateful for you. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your work. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, we're gonna take the next 10 or 15 minutes together as a church family, and we're just gonna pray into these things that we've been talking about. And so if you're new to Ethos, this is something we do every week. We circle up our chairs. We talk with one another. We pray. If you don't wanna pray with the people next to you, that's okay. You can just say, hey, I wanna reflect on my own. I wanna be, be by myself. That's completely fine. But I wanna encourage you to stretch yourself just a little bit. Go ahead and circle up your chairs right now. Uh, turn to the person next to you, two, three, four, five people, whatever you want. And I'm gonna give us a couple of prayer prompts and we're just gonna pray out loud together. And then we'll end our morning with a time of communion and worship together. And so 
If you don't know the person next to you, it's a great opportunity to say hello and introduce yourself. Here's the first prayer point that I want to give you. Whether you're in the room or joining us online, here's the first prayer point. Is let's pray for those that have been made vulnerable by the events of the last week. Let's pray for those that have been made vulnerable. So women, children, people that have been following Jesus, people that have served as allies that are now on the run. Let's pray for people that have been made vulnerable by the events of the last week. And so we can practice what Fadi was just sharing with us. Ask the Lord to show you how to pray. And then just pray out loud as a group right now. So you can circle your chairs up as much as you want and get comfortable. Let's pray together and then we'll lead you into another prayer point in a few minutes. As you continue to pray, I was just struck by these words from Jesus. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we're gonna take a moment right now. We're gonna pray for the persecuted church. And we wanna pray that the reward of heaven would be poured out on the persecuted church of Afghanistan right now that the reward of joy, that the reward of uh, new perspective, of new vision, of perseverance, of strength, of boldness will be poured out on the church of, uh, of Afghanistan right now. And so I want to encourage you, let's take a few more minutes. Let's pray specifically for persecuted Christians that God would pour out his heart into their heart, that they would receive the reward of honor for being faithful right now. So let's pray together.